We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. The Christmas story is all about what a child can tell us. A child knows the wonderment, I pray, most children do, or a lot of children do, the wonderment of this being a special time of the year. I pray that each of you might have had a great childhood growing up. My mother always wanted to make Christmas very special to five children, and I honor her, and I'm grateful for that today. And I just hope that it's a season filled with joy, that you can be with your church and your family and your friends. The church ought to be open more at Christmas than ever, because people need to hear the message of Jesus. And uh, so I just thank you for being here. I hope you have the best Christmas you ever have. I want to share with you out of Galatians chapter 4, uh, the passage that Jared read to you. <clears throat> it's a Christmas passage. It talks about God's, in his economy, and his plan, choosing a moment in time. A moment in time. The Old Testament is all looking forward to the, the Messiah to come, the Christ. If you were to talk to a Jew of the Old Testament, a young lady would think, could I be the one chosen to be the mother of the Messiah? All the families, as they kept the feast and the Passover every year, they would be thinking about the Messiah that was going to come. Now, granted, many of them thought that he was going to be a religious leader that would come in, drive out the Romans, and rule like David did in, in the, the Camelot years of Israel. That's what they're expecting. But God's prophecies of the Old Testament gave a different picture of the Messiah that was to come. But all of those ages, even through the times of the, the kings and the times of the prophets, Getting down to the, the four or five hundred years that we, we don't hear from God before uh, this moment in time. Galatians in this few verses tells us it's time. When God gave his only begotten son that you and I could be saved. So I want to ask you the question here that you probably will be asked many, many times. What did you get for Christmas? And this passage is going to show what the world what you and I as believers in Christ, what God has given in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, at Christmas. What did you get at Christmas? You know, we, uh, we get some gifts and we like them. Is that right? We get some gifts and they're not really what we, uh, you know, really kind of like. Uh, sometimes we, we return them. It's pretty often that you get a receipt with a gift nowadays, isn't it? So you can return it. Uh, have you ever re-gifted before? Uh, I have to raise my hand a little bit. Uh, yes, I have re-gifted sometimes on something. Uh, I had, I wonder if this ever happened to you. I had some friends one time. They lived out in the country and they, they had a big family, so a lot of children and they were given a, quite a few gifts at Christmas time. They put them all in great big trash bags so they could keep them separate and they ended up thinking that that was the wrapping paper and they took all of those trash bags and they burned them in their burn pit out in the country. When they realized what they had done, they said, oh, who gave us this? And what did they give us? And they went to the stores to try to purchase everything that looked exactly like what was given them. We all probably have a lot of memories of things. My little brother, uh, as a little child, had a soft heart and and uh, we had a, our dad was kind of gruff, but I remember, and if he by chance is listening here tonight, he would, uh, he, we had a can opener that had some little, little jewel-like things on it. It was just kind of a fancy can opener. Don't even use them anymore, hardly. But I laugh when I thought of that the other day. He would wrap that up every Christmas. 
And that's what he would give to our dad. And our dad would open that, you know, oh, thank you, you know. I don't know if he ever said thank you or not. But anyway, he would get that year after year. My dad was one that we would give presents to after my mom passed away years and years before that. But we would give presents to. We would come back the next Christmas and they'd still be there on the coffee table unopened. So I don't know what your memories are about gifts at Christmas time. There's all different kinds of things. But I want to ask you, what did you get for Christmas? And this passage is going to tell us. Look with me in Galatians chapter 4, the passage that Jared read to us. It says the beginning word, now. Now, very important. Of all of history, and we know history is his story. Of all time, from the beginning, before the foundation of the world, that the Lamb's book of life was written, and your name and my name were written in that book. Waiting till the time... Uh, the proto uh, evangelion that Tommy talked about this morning, the Genesis 3.15, the, the plan of God to come and redeem Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve's descendants. He was going to send someone to crush the serpent's head. All of those centuries, the world waited until God decided it was time. And this is what Christmas is all about. God said it's time. Now, the very first word in this passage. We're going to actually see several times in this passage. We're going to see in a very short number of verses, this is a time, then there's something else that something came time for, something else that came time for, and it'll describe what Christmas is for you and for me. Now, it begins with a time, and that's the first time. It was just the right time that God chose for Christmas. I say, as long as. Well, that's actually the second time in this passage. As long as. The Lord through Paul is writing, and he's going to describe in parentheses a season of Israel's existence. Israel being the Jews, God's chosen people of the Old Testament. So now he's writing to the churches. As long as he's going to refer to a period of time in parentheses, as long as the heir, that is someone to inherit something, is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. He's using a description that you and I could be familiar with. If you uh, came from a family where people own property, you had an estate, someone died, they have a will, they will their property, their goods, their estate to someone else, Oftentimes it's divided up. I came from ranch country and ranch country, many places there. They have ranches that are not a few hundred acres. They're 60,000 acres. They're huge. I know of one ranch that a man had many cattle. It was a deer population. He had oil all over it. It, it is 60,000 acres uh, in that size. It's huge. None of his children cared anything about that land. None whatsoever. They didn't care anything about it. So he just skipped them. In his, the inheritance, he skipped that generation and he willed that ranch to his grandson. Now he kept it in a trusteeship or a, a, an airship. The, the bank in that town took care of that ranch until that son was not 21, much older than that. And then that grandson could inherit that. Now, his children got property and they got assets and they got oil money and they got things like that, but they cared nothing about that land and he just skipped them. Here, Paul is using the same kind of thing 
when there is a child of a family, that child is an heir of what their family, their parents have. But he says, as long as they're a child, he's not any different than a worker that would grow up in that, in that uh, household. Oftentimes we, we hear about slaves that were uh, members of households and and this is not honoring slavery in any way. This, we're against that in every way it could be, except you and I are a slave to Christ. He bought and paid for us, and he owns us. But he says there that the children grow up together. Those that work for the estate holder, owner, and the children, they grow up together. There's nothing different than them. Uh, an heir de jour or an heir de facto. <coughs> in other words, that child is truly an heir but he's not an heir or she's not an heir in fact yet because she's still a child. He's going to use a very, uh, very good illustration that most of those Jews would talk about. Uh, a Jewish boy was uh, groomed uh, to be a man uh, at 12 years old. He went through preparation for his bar mitzvah at 13. Bar means son, mitzvah is commandment. He was going to be made the son of a commandment allowed to enter into and take part in the worship services and considered a man in Jewish society at that time. So the child uh, of the master of the house and the estate, he grows up just like someone that would work, the servants that work for them, really no different. And yet that child owns everything. He owns everything, but it's not in practicality yet because he's still a child. But it says, verse two, but is under the child, is under guardians and managers. We would call them nannies. Uh, we would call them tutors. We would call them uh, maybe guardians in different ways. He's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. Now there's the third time in this passage. We found out now, Paul's writing to the churches, in the season of as long as the child is even he's an heir, he's a child. Now he's referring to Israel here. Israel is a little child until they grow up and they become a mature nation. He said he's under, that child is under guardians and managers. He has babysitters. He has nannies. Maybe some of you have worked as that in a household before. God bless you. Uh, my, my daughter before, uh, during, uh, before she went to college and during college sometime, worked as a nanny a little bit for some families and uh, she loved it, but oh my goodness, the story she could tell. A child, even though he's an heir or she's an heir, is still a child, so you're under the guardianship of someone else. The Jews were under the law, the prophets, they were under teachers, they were under the care for their education, for their training, for their welfare, they were taken care of by someone else. Paul's describing something that Jewish people would understand very clearly, personally in their households and as a nation. So there's three different times so far. Now, Paul's writing to the Galatians. Number two, as long as this period that the heir is a child, they're growing up in the household, and then until the date set by the father. There's gonna be a date that the dad says, on this date, you can literally be counted as an adult. You can inherit what rightly, rightfully belongs to you. Just like I told you that example of that 
man waiting for his grandson to get old because he loved the ranch. When that grandson got that old, he was given that huge gift of all that land. But the date was set by the granddad. Here, until the date set by the father. Now, one thing is very clear. The rabbis didn't know when that was. The prophets of the Old Testament didn't. They were all looking forward to it. When they asked Jesus in the New Testament, when are you coming back? No one knows. The hour of the day, only the Father which is in heaven. So these things are in God's uh, design, in his mind, and he's the one that chooses when these dates will come about. Until the date set by the Father, so also we, Jews, while we were children, there's another time, he's talking about now, not as a whole nation of Israelites, He's brought it down personally to the individual people that are reading these letters. While we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Now, very literally, what he's talking about is we were were bound by sin. Paul's used the whole book of Galatians to talk about uh, that we were a slave to sin. And that Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit has come to deliver us. And we can walk now in the Spirit. We can have the power to obey God and to choose to do the right things. Before we were bound, we were a slave to sin. We did not have the power to live the way God wanted us to. So the fourth time there is our childhood. He brings it down personally. As I mentioned earlier, I hope you have good memories of your childhood. Some of you say, Mike, I don't. I I have many, many things that were troublesome. And and if you do, I'm very, very sorry. I would encourage you, please, to remember the good that you can remember, though. Remember the good that you can. And always, always, you can make a difference in some other child uh, today. While we were children, we were in bondage under the elemental things of the world. So Paul is reminding them to look at their own life. He's reminding Israel that they were in bondage and they needed a savior so badly. And until God chose in his time to send one, they were lost. They were bound by the elemental, the rude things of the world. They were controlled by sin. Verse four, but. I got a friend that always calls that a holy but. (laughs) When the circumstance is one way and God's about to change it. In our uh, legacy office, we have a poster that uh, three years ago, we have a theme every year that we go through. And three years ago, our theme, or four years ago, was But God. And we had people come in and give testimonies about where they had been and what they had gone through. And, and some folks, some, some people in our church have gone through some amazing trials. We brought some of them in and asked them to speak to our people. And, and every one of them, in their testimony would say, yes, I went through this and this and this. And just when you think their story couldn't have got any more uh, tragic in some ways. And they said, and then this happened, and then, and then this happened. And we're going, wow. But do you know what every one of those testimonies ended with? But God, but God took all of those things that we were going through that the world would say is bad. And yes, some of them were bad and, and they hurt. They were not easy. But God turned and he made something good out of all those things. I always want to remind you, if you're here tonight and you think, 
God can't make something good out of what I'm going through right now. Just look right past me, behind me. That cross was the worst thing that could ever happen. And God made it the best thing that could ever happen. So he can do that for you and me too. So verse four starts with, but when the fullness of the time came, there's the next time, the fifth one, all of heaven and creation was looking forward to this one that would come to redeem us, the Messiah that would come. And not just the Jews, because the prophets had said that he was going to be not only the Messiah for the Gentiles, but uh, for the Jews, but he was going to be a light unto the Gentiles. The very Christmas story prophesied about he would be a light to those that are in darkness. And you and I have been grafted in, and we can be a part of this salvation Christmas message because of what we're reading. But when the fullness of the time came, if you were in sports growing up, you know how uh, critical it is to manage the clock. Would you say so? I have great memories, and I'm thinking of basketball, and, and there's times when God just allowed, you know, they say, the old timers used to say a blind, uh, blind hog finds an acorn every now and then. Is that right? Well, there's times when the end of the game came, and, and uh, we're one point behind, and I remember, and I won't tell you what town, you might know the people, but... This guy's he's dribbling right this way, and he looks off, and I get to steal the ball, and I run down there and score, and we win by one point. Time runs out. Time management's important. In some sporting events, those last few seconds seem like a long, long time, don't they? People call timeouts, and this happens, and this happens, and it's stretched out for a long time. But I can replay those things in my mind. I was sitting in a, uh, another town years ago, I'd taken a friend of mine with me to eat lunch and we're talking about no telling what and I hear a voice from the booth next to me and said, your name is Mike Spencer. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> how do you know me? He said, you made a three-quarter court uh, length shot in the tournament in Eastland, Texas in the 1970s. And here's what I told him. I said, you, me, and God are the only people that remember that. It wasn't on video back before we had cell phones. Nobody saw it, but he, he was one of our coaches. And the reason I didn't recognize him, he lost 100 pounds. He'd been a great big, big guy, and he lost down, and he was, uh, worked at a uh, city, I mean a, a youth home uh, now and doing really good things. But I remember that, and I really thought me and God were the only ones that remembered it, but that was one other coach that did. A moment in time when something happens, you probably remember when somebody asked you, where were you when this event happened? I used to say, where were you when Kennedy was shot? That just goes almost over all of this, this crowd right here. Where were you when Reagan was shot? You remember that? I remember exactly where I was. Uh, where were you when, uh, let's see what else I can be a little more relevant here. You remember things that have happened. They're kind of seared in your memory where you were, what you were doing when a certain event happened. Well, this is the greatest event. And it says when the, I love this, the fullness of time. I, God didn't say time ran out like what I was describing to you in sporting events. He says time got full. Time got full. I like that. 
Time runs out, it's kind of a negative thing, isn't it? You don't have time anymore to score more points to win. He said, no, time got full. God's ready to do the greatest thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's ready for Christmas. Have you been asked this year, are you ready for Christmas? Well, I'm not. But God was. But when the fullness of the time came, the time that all people of all time and all creation needed to see, Matthew, Mark, uh, Mark 1, 15 says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, it's interesting. God does everything perfectly in his time, doesn't he? He knows the right time. He didn't need these things, but think about the time that he sent Jesus. This was when the Roman civilization had brought peace, the Pax Romana, that uh, militarily they had actually caused to be almost world peace at that time. It was controlled by a firm iron hand, but they had caused some peace in the land. Uh, it is a time when the Greeks had uh, formulated a, a language that was spreading all around the world very easy to use, a common language that the people could hear in. The great Greek, uh, Grecian civilization, the, the Romans, uh, the Jews had proclaimed monotheism, so they weren't idol worshipers anymore. They weren't worshiping false gods. And, and so the hope of the Messiah was alive. And they were looking forward there were synagogues in the Mediterranean world. A synagogue was kind of a new thing. Uh, it was not, uh, we think of it as like a Jewish temple. It was not the temple, and we think of it sort of like a church, but it was not the church. A synagogue was a new thing where they would go and read the scrolls of the scripture. So God chose uh, a certain point in time. As I mentioned, Israel, since the Babylonian captivity, they don't worship idols anymore. And that's an amazing thing. Since that time, and God judged Israel so traumatically for their worshiping of false uh, idols. Israel's never gone back to a big extent worshiping idols anymore. I think that's an amazing thing. So God has got the stage set. He has got the perfect time when the fullness of time came. Do you remember as a little child asking your parent, how many more days till Christmas? Uh, Y'all know that I, I can't help it, but we've got a little grandson. I just love to see him. He crawled out of his chair today and was sitting on for breakfast on the breakfast table. And his mother comes back and says, excuse me? And he's just looking like this. Is there something wrong? You know, why? She said, how did you get up there and what are you doing? And, and he literally just saying, what's the problem? I don't understand. He's so much fun to watch. But you remember little children? Maybe you're going to Disneyland or Disney World or they're going to Six Flags or they're going somewhere. How many more? Sometimes they'll say, how many more sleeps until we get to go? Oh, I love that. The wonderment of a child. I hope that we can never lose that. I ask my mother all the time, how many more days till Christmas? How many more days? She was a patient woman. Oh, I'm so gratefully grateful for her. But I would say, how many more days till Christmas? The same number I told you earlier today. But I was just so looking forward in anticipation. How many more days till the Messiah comes? God says, time's full. It's come. It's time. Notice what it says there, verse four. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. I 
I love the way that's written. He's sent forth. He's going forward. He's not going backwards. He's going on a mission, an intentional search and rescue mission for you and me. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And that's so humans could relate. Jesus was going to be all human. Matthew 5, 17, I mean, John 1 says that uh, as many as received him, to them gave you power. They were not born of the flesh, born of blood, born of man, but we have to be born of God. Talks about Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became one of us. It is a mystery that Jesus can be all human and all God, all deity and all uh, human. But that's what this passage is talking about. He was born of a woman. He was born of Mary, just like you and I had a mom. I had a man tell me one time, well, Jesus had a divine past. He was the son of God, so he could never have sinned, and he just had it easy. It's not like us. That's not true. He was a human. He was tempted with every infirmity of the flesh that you and I have been tempted with, Hebrews says, yet without sin. So he's a man. He's a human. And yet it says he was born of a woman, born under the law. That was so the Jews could relate. Jesus came along later and he said, I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill. In fact, he said, not one jot or one tittle, the smallest stroke of a Hebrew pen in their language would pass till all be fulfilled. He could, became a, a human so he could relate to us as humans. He was born under the law so the Jews could relate to him as a Jew. So that, here's the purpose, verse five, he might redeem those who were under the law. To redeem something is to buy it back. Uh, I want you to know Jesus chooses us God chose the Israelites, his chosen people. In fact, he told them, I don't choose you because you're great in number. I don't choose you because you're a greater nation than anyone else. I choose you for my own namesake. So Israel couldn't boast and say, we're God's, we're, we're God's pet. We're his favorite. We have made him so happy with us. No, God said, you didn't do anything for me to choose you. I just did it on my own. So that he might redeem he literally pays for us. He buys us back from our state of slavery. If the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He buys us. He's paid for us. And with the price that he paid on the cross, we're going to celebrate communion in a few moments. That's how much it cost. He purchased us with his own blood, the scripture says. He was born of woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Uh, one important aspect of this, Galatians 3.13, the Bible says, cursed is everyone that's hung on a tree. Someone that was to be crucified, to be killed, to name to a tree, became a curse. And it's hard to fathom, but that's what the pure, innocent, undefiled, perfect son of God gave himself willingly to do for you and me. He became a curse. Now we want a blessing, don't we? We want to be a blessing. He became a curse so you and I could be a blessing. 
When we think about Christmas, there was a cradle. There's also a cross. And there's also a crown. He's coming back. And he's not coming back as a little baby anymore in the cradle. He's not coming back as a crucified Christ still on a cross. He's coming back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Coming back in triumph. And to fulfill all that God's promised. That's going to be a great time. He was born of a woman born of the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law. He became sin who knew no sin. Did you ever sing that song? That we might become his righteousness. He became sin so we could become righteous. It's a gift. Can't earn it, be born into it, buy it. He became sin. If I were to send around a piece of paper here tonight and ask you to list every kind of sin known to mankind, we could fill up a page, couldn't we? We could name a lot of filthy, unrighteous acts that men and women and children do, ungodly things. And you could put the most hideous thing that you've ever seen or heard about, the worst news you've ever heard, the most tragic thing that's ever happened to a child, the most terrible thing that someone's done in their business associates, in their family, in the world. And you can look at that piece of paper and Jesus said, I love you so much. I'll become every one of those things so that you can become right before a holy God. What'd you get for Christmas? We got a lot, didn't we? We got a lot for Christmas. A right standing with our Heavenly Father. He was born of a woman to relate as a human. He was born of the law to relate as a Jew. So that those who were under the law, that we might receive, that's a gift given to us, the adoption. Uh, If you want to here tonight, you don't have to say that. How many of you have had adoption in your family? Had adoption, praise God, good. I love the process of adoption. I don't, I don't like the process because it's difficult sometimes. How many of you were adopted? If you, want to, if you want to mention that, you don't have to at all. How many of you have been adopted in Christ? We are, aren't we? He said, no, you take my name now. You're a part of my family now. I choose you. In adoption, there is a choice. There is a choice. My Freshman English teacher had adopted a boy and he grew up and if anybody ever said anything about him being adopted, she said, you always tell him this. When you were born, your parents were stuck with you, but my mama got to choose me. (laughs) I love that. Adoption is choosing. Uh, Huiothesia, y'all need to help me pronounce that. Uh, Huios is son, thesis is a placing a son placing in a family that was not there before. It reverts to a man giving the status of a sonship, uh, not to to someone who's not his natural child. So that he became uh, born of woman, born of the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you, and that's plural, he's talking about all believers, are sons, What tense is that verb? Are. That's present. That is now. That's the next time. It doesn't say when you get to heaven, you're going to be a son and daughter of God. It doesn't say when you clean up your act 
and you start doing right and come to church and do all these lists of rules and regulations, you're going to be received into the family of God. No. It says you are now. Believers, when they've confessed Christ and they've trusted in him, he's, he's forgiven them their sins. He is their Lord and Savior. You're already children. You're already children of the Father. We are heirs with Christ, joint heirs with him. Because you are sons, you already are placed in that position by faith. Galatians 3.26, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. God has sent forth the spirit of his son. What did he send forth earlier? He sent his son forth. And that's when Jesus came to the earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, died on a cruel cross, was raised from the dead, ascended back into heaven. He said, I won't leave you comfortless. The father's going to send the paraclete, the Holy Spirit is going to come and be with you forever. God sent forth his son first. And now he sends forth the spirit of his son. It doesn't say not the spirit of a son. It says the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts. God didn't say, I'm sending Jesus to the world so you can be near him. There was a lot of people as he walked the earth that wanted to be near him. They pressed in the crowds. They went into the rooms where he was. They went out of the countryside. They, went, they followed him in boats across the Sea of Galilee. Thousands of them showed up on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. And later on, they wanted to be near him. They wanted to be close to him. God didn't say, I'm going to send the world so you can be close to him. He says, I'm sending forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. I've tried to explain many times to unbelievers, what do you mean about this Christianity and about Jesus? And, and I just tell them, Jesus came. He lives in my heart. He changed my life. He did for me what I could not do. He's the one I run to. His words are right and true. I pray to him. He gives me strength and courage and faith. I can cry to him. I can laugh with him. I can, re I can rely upon him. He never runs out and leaves me. The world doesn't understand that, but if you're a believer here tonight, you do. God sent forth his son into our hearts in the innermost being where we truly live, the house for the soul, the spirit inside of us. Laying on my bed in my bedroom at eight years old with tears running out of my eyes, I prayed to God to forgive me. And he did. And that spirit of his son has been living inside of this person ever since what'd you get for Christmas well there's a lot there's a lot that God gave at Christmas time through his son Jesus notice what the spirit's going to do God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying you know sometimes we whisper when we were little boys little children in church Somebody explain to me why it's hard to be quiet when you're a little child in church. The times when you're really supposed to be quiet, why does that make it harder? I remember sitting on the back row. I had coal black hair. I mean, it was black as could be. It's hard to believe now, isn't it? And my best friend, when we went to church together, sat on the pew with me. He had the blondest white hair you've ever seen. Salt and pepper sitting on the back row. And we would start looking at each other and we'd laugh about something. And the reason why we laughed so much was because we knew we were not supposed to. I still don't understand what gets a hold of you. It must be that fallen nature that says, 
you better not laugh like this in church. You're going to get in trouble. And if your mom looks at you, you know you're in big trouble. I remember sitting up in the choir and the choir, the children's choir sat in the front during the whole service. How would you like that? They, everybody, all the adults could watch you the whole service. And I remember them, you know, during a baptism and the preacher says, I baptize you in the name of the father and the person hiccups and the son hiccups. And that puts pressure on a little kid. It's funny and you want to laugh out loud. And sometimes we whisper, sometimes we talk, sometimes we laugh, sometimes we shout, sometimes we cry. But it says when the spirit came into our hearts, we cry, a different kind of cry, Abba, Father. That's that personal, looking our dad in the face, Daddy. And he says, now we can cry that to God. The Old Testament, they wouldn't call God's name. They wouldn't speak his name. They were afraid to. They couldn't go into the presence of God. It was closed off by a huge curtain. Only the priest could go at a certain time into the holiest of holies. If he didn't go in the right way, he died. So they were afraid to call God's name. And when Jesus came saying, I am, they were shocked. The name of his father, God. But he says, now you and I can cry, Abba, Father. We can cry to God the Father. Don't you think those little children and families we've been praying for, I think they got to go home. I think some of those children we've been praying for got to go home this week. Garrett did, didn't he? Somebody know? Somebody saying yes? Good, Garrett's home for Christmas. What about the, the car's little baby? Is the car's little baby home? Y'all know, Anybody? We cry, Abba, Father. We're home with God. Romans 8, 15, Abba. It's an Aramaic word for father. It's in the diminutive form like a little child would say, Daddy. Jesus called his father Abba in personal intimacy and trust. God sent forth his son at the right time, at the right moment, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, Verse seven, therefore, and that's, here's a declaration. Here is an emphatic proclamation. You remember the old time they would say, hear ye, hear ye, and somebody ring a bell. And they're gonna make a, 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 a announcement that everybody needed to hear. Well, that's what this is. Therefore, you. You remember I told you the you earlier was plural? Talking about you as a group. Now this you is plural. It's like he's saying, yeah, you. It's, it, it is singular, excuse me, it's personal. It's like God's looking straight into your face. You are no longer a slave. Here's another time. You've been a slave before, but now you've been redeemed, you're purchased, now you're not a slave anymore, but a son. That's masculine, but it applies to daughters also. You've been a child before, you've been an heir, but you weren't yet a son or daughter in the fullness of what it means. But now when you become a Christian, God sent forth his son into your heart to redeem you and you become a son and daughter of God. You can call him dad. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. Romans eight seventeen says we are a fellow heir with Christ. Romans uh, 21, 7, we will inherit all things with him. I want to tell you something, those are the greatest Christmas gifts ever. If you and I were about to breathe our last and we knew that we were about to stand before our creator, it's not going to make a difference what vehicle I drove up in here tonight. 
what clothes I have on. It's not going to make any difference, the career I had. Those things, are, I'm not going to be worried about that. What matters is what we're reading about tonight. Has the Spirit of God entered your heart, forgiven you of your sins, saved your soul, and you know you're saved? What'd you get for Christmas? We got Jesus. We got forgiveness. We got salvation. We got a home, a new family. We got a father in heaven. We got a brother, a joint heir with Christ. And we got a spirit that lives inside of us that says, I'll never leave you. I'm right here with you no matter what you go through. And it says, no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The father of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ is not Father Christmas. It's not Father Time. It's not Mother Nature. All the replacements the world got to get, uh, wants to give. But it's Father God. The greatest gift ever given for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So how many gifts were in this passage? There was about seven or eight different times. Time before for Israel, time before for us as individuals. When the fullness of time came, God said, it's time now to send my son. It was time that you're no longer a child, but you grow up. You become a son or daughter of God Almighty. It's time when the Spirit comes and, and, and changes your life and redeems you. How many gifts were in this passage? Let's think about them. There was a baby given to a family. Jesus came to the world. There was freedom given to slaves under the law. There was freedom from slaves to sin. You and I have been freed from the power of sin. There was adoption into a new family. Can you imagine what it would be like for a little child to get adopted at Christmas time? Would that not be awesome? And they get to spend a first Christmas. I watched The Blind Side not long ago. You remember that, that, that show about the football player, uh, Orr? And I love the scene where he's in and, and the, the lady is saying, well, here, here's your dresser and here's this and your room and, and uh, you know, we'll have plenty of pillows and she, he said, you mean that's mine? And she said, what, this room? And he said, no, that bed. Well, yes, that bed is yours. He said, I've never had one before. Can you imagine what it would be like for a child to get adopted at Christmas time and spend Christmas with a new family? 20, about 20 years ago, my cousin called us and told us she works for, in Oklahoma for the state and placing foster children. And she told us she got to adopt a little kindergarten girl uh, that was named Shelby. And we went and uh, had dinner with them. And that little four-year-old walked up and I said, hello, how are you? What is your name? And she said, my name is Shelby Metters. And Metters is my cousin's uh, last name. She was so excited to have a last name and a mama that loved her. I want to take her home myself, I promise you. That's what Christmas is. Freedom from sin, adoption in a new family, uh, the deeds given over, sonship, the spirit, inherit all things with Jesus, a relationship with God. How much did Christmas cost? Uh, they estimate that this year in our country, there will be a staggering Eight, uh, or around the world, there'll be a staggering $859 billion spent on Christmas gifts. Not at our house. <laughs> Can you imagine that much money 
spent on Christmas gifts. I'm glad. I'm thankful for everyone that's given in the name of Christ. How much does Christmas cost? Some people are separated from their family right now. Our military, remember them this Christmas. I have a nephew who just got out of boot camp and he's headed to overseas to serve and become a, an army ranger and he's got his whole life ahead of him, Lord willing, but we're praying a lot for him for whatever may be ahead. Military can't be home with Christmas. There are older folks in retirement centers that can't be home with their family. There are little children that don't have somebody. There's a lot of people and let's remember them this Christmas time. What'd you get for Christmas? Hopefully you can go home. Hopefully home's a safe place for you to go. Uh, remember the old song, I'll be home for Christmas. It's supposed to invoke good memories. I hope it does for you. But more important than whether you get to go home, are you home in Christ? Are you saved? Do you know for sure that you're no longer bound by sin as God set you free, forgiving you? God sent his son Jesus to become a little, a little baby, to live a perfect life, to die a cruel death, to pay a price he did not owe. God redeemed us through Christ. He adopted us, gave us his spirit, and he charged us nothing for it. Isn't that amazing? Do you get a bill for Christmas? Not for this Christmas. And by adopting us into his family, we became children of God who will inherit all things with Jesus, our Savior. So that's when we say Merry Christmas. That's what we get for Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that you and I can be saved. What'd you get for Christmas? Much. Much. It's my prayer that you have the greatest Christmas you ever have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. And as we prepare now for communion, make us mindful, Lord, of the cost of Christmas. For that little sweet little baby in swaddling clothes would grow up to be a man who told the truth, who lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a hideous Roman cross, but was raised from that grave and lives victoriously right now. We thank you for the greatest gift of Christmas, Jesus himself. And when we think about what we've gotten for Christmas, we've gotten everything good from you. Salvation and forgiveness and a new life and adoption and a father, a spirit to live inside of us, the power to do what's right, set free from our sin and our bondage. We've got the greatest message the world needs to hear. Maybe it's our neighbor. Maybe it's someone we go to school with or we work with. Someone needs to hear what Jesus has done in our lives. And I pray that we'd be ready to share this Christmas season. Father, would you bless us now as we remember what Jesus did with his disciples all those years ago. In Jesus' name, amen.